Hello everyone, you are listening to Gradcast, the official radio show for the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Welcome everyone, my name is Nick. And my name is Vicky, and today we'll be talking to Elmond, who is in the Masters of Public Administration. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> so, um, what brought you here to Western University then? Yeah, uh, thank you very much. Um, I am from Zimbabwe. I came to Western as an international student. I did my uh, Bachelor of Science uh, in Rural and Urban Planning, which mm-hmm. I completed in 2014. So I came here to Western University as an African Leaders of Tomorrow Scholar. Okay. Uh, in this, uh, the African Leaders of Tomorrow Scholarship Program is uh, an initiative by the government of Canada mm-hmm. to support uh, young African professionals to study mm. public policy, public administration, and uh, public finance at master's level in, 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 in different universities in Canada. So when I was uh, applying for the scholarship program, there were a number of universities mm-hmm. to select from. Uh, I think there were at least uh, 26 uh, you know, programs, t- uh, mm-hmm. English taught. So what attracted me to Western is that when I was doing my undergraduate mm-hmm. pr- uh, degree back home in rural and urban planning, I had a lot of interest in local government, uh, urban policy and urban governance. So I was looking for a program that has a focus on local government, which is about municipal government and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, how public policies are made at a local level and their impact on local communities. So the, the, the MPA at Western, that is its mm-hmm. main focus. It is the only program in Canada that has a local government focus in as far as public policy and mm-hmm. public administration is concerned. That's why I, I, I came to Western. Wow. I actually didn't know that this was the only program here in Canada to actually focus on such a a local um, aspect. So in terms of your your master's now, so how does the the master's program work here at Western? So is it course-based? Do you have a research project? So how does that, how the technicalities work here in this program? Yeah, this, uh, the MPA program is is basically a course-based program. Mm-hmm. where we have to take uh, a stipulated number of courses. All of them are compulsory for full-time students and also for part-time students as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to take uh, six courses in the fall, and then we have to take uh, five courses uh, in the winter, and then we have to take uh, two courses in the summer, and we have mm-hmm. to do a capstone, which is uh, the research paper, okay. which is required for graduation. Oh, so it's a bit of a hybrid program then. So you have one year that's dedicated to, to coursework. And then now, are you in the research portion? Of yes, your, okay. we, I'm now f- doing my, my, my research paper. I've completed my classes. Okay. So it, it, how the research project works is that f- in the fall, mm-hmm. it has been designed that you know the, the, the process of developing the research proposal is integrated into the research methods course. Mm-hmm. So you have to develop uh, the, uh, your research proposal working with the instructor who, uh, who, is, who will be teaching that research methods course. Mm-hmm. And if that is what one is interested in pursuing, then you can develop that uh, with your supervisor when the, the allocations for supervisors uh, take place uh, mm-hmm. sometime in the summer. Okay. So we're, ju- we're going to talk about your exciting research project in just a minute. But I just want to inquire about something you said earlier that uh, intrigued me. So you said that you did your undergrad in Zimbabwe, correct? Yes. And you said that it was the municipal uh, level that was interesting to you. So what makes um, the municipal kind of public governments more interesting to you than uh, provincial or federal, let's say? 
uh, I, I would I would I would explain it this way. You know, if you look at the municipal level, that is uh, the level of government that is a direct uh, interaction with the community in terms of service delivery. When you think about water, when you think about roads, when you think about you know different uh, public services, you think about land use planning, all that stuff is it happens at a local level, and there is a direct impact. When you uh, look at uh, national policies, so national development, national visions, they are translated into projects and programs at a local level. So that's why I became much interested because I knew very well that if I'm working, maybe as a consultant or as a policy officer at a local level, I'll be able to have an impact in you know in the in the everyday life of 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 local communities. So that is kind of very fulfilling for me in as far as my career prospects are concerned. Uh, and also there's room for flexibility when it comes to decision making as in, you know when you look at the provincial level, when you look at the the the, the, the federal level, there's a lot of you know hierarchy in terms of decision making. But at a local level, um, I might be able to make, you know, significant impact and be able to say okay i was responsible for driving this project i was responsible for implementing you know this kind of uh, uh, programs that have a direct impact on people's lives and also at that level that is where you know issues around direct participation of 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 of, of citizens and communities in as far as uh, public affairs is concerned you know people really have a direct you know connection with their local councillors, with their municipal governments, and they can take part, you know, in public affairs at that particular level, which can then maybe cascade into other levels of government. So, I, you know, this is what the people are saying at a, at a, at a, at a local community level. I think that's really important for, you know, the world at this moment, because there's a lot of, you know, discussion about governments doing, you know, immoral things or questionable things. And I think a lot of people... Um, they think that the federal level is the only one of importance, but really, like, the kind of day-to-day action that takes place is really on the municipal level. So you decided to uh, go into municipal um, government, so that's why you chose Western. And did you decide to do that um, before you left or when you arrived? So how, how did that work? You know, like I said, uh, you said it very clearly that, you know, even here in Canada, what I, I've been following, even when you look at uh, uh, political processes, people tend to place much value on provincial elections, on, uh, you know, federal elections. But people don't really put a lot of attention what happens at municipal politics. But that's very key. And that level of government is very important when it comes to, you know, when people start to complain about their garbage not pe- being picked up, it's not the responsibility mm-hmm. of the provincial government to do that. So I think that's very important that you've said that. And uh, like what I said is that, you know, I have, you know, because if you look at the, the my bachelor's degree, it's rural and urban planning. It's a highly technical one. So I didn't have a lot of interest in the technical aspects of it, like urban design and stuff like that. I was interested in policy work, you know, urban policy and governance because, uh, and then, uh, developing that passion, you know, I said to myself, if I'm to do a master's program, I have to do something which has, you know, an urban policy component, w- something which really focuses on local government, because that's where I think I will have a, you know, a successful career and being able, because, and, and I also uh, think that, you know, back home, there's a lot of work to do now, and, uh, you know, because for a long time, local government has not been really 
you know, recognized as an important, you know, level of government in as far as development issues are concerned. But there's increased momentum from the government in terms of, you know, what kind of powers, what kind of responsibility should we give to local governments, you know, what kind of capacities exist, and mm-hmm. how can those capacities be strengthened so that, you know, whatever national development objectives, they can be translated into programs and policies at a local level and being able to impact on the quality of life. So that's why I came to West End. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that brings us back to the capstone project that you thought of in your first year of your master's. So tell us a little bit about that. So what did you decide to propose and carry on to the second year of your master's? Uh, yeah, if you look at my, my uh, the, the capstone project that I'm working on, mm-hmm. is basically looking at stakeholder engagement in local policy processes. Okay. And citizen engagement is one of my uh, key interests in as far as mm-hmm. you know, local public policy is concerned. Because I believe that uh, it is important to engage citizens in decision making. It is important to engage citizens in policy making in whatever policy domains that we might think of. Mm-hmm. So when I was brainstorming in the fall during the research methods course, um, you know, I, I, I had a discussion with, with, with my professor, you know, Professor Taylor, you know, mm-hmm. and I told him that I'm new to Canada because I was, you know, when I came here, everything that I, I, I was studying, the case study that I was looking at, mm-hmm. it was not about Zimbabwe. It was about Canada, everything, even right. in everything of my courses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was discussing with my professor and said, you know what, I'm very much interested to know in terms of citizen engagement and how, you know, things work in Canada in terms of are there any best practices in as much as, you know, engaging citizens and stakeholders in policy processes at a local level. So, you know, he briefly told me about this rethink process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't give me much detail and I had to do my own research and read about it. It was very exciting because it has been publicized as one of the successful processes in as far as mm-hmm. uh, stakeholder engagement in land use planning or, you know, in, in preparing an official plan. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that, you know, when, when, when we talk about an official plan, this is a long-term policy document that municipal governments use mm-hmm. to guide development, to guide urban growth and urban development of a long period of time right. between 20 to 30 years. So, you know, the city of London had, they, they did that between 2011, it should be 2011, yeah, 2012 and 2013, mm-hmm. when they were doing a, a review of their official plan, which was prepared in, in, in 1989. So it was very exciting. And I wanted, because when I was looking around, uh, I didn't see any study that was done because it was completed uh, some years back. I think it's about four years now. Right. And uh, there haven't been any study to look at it in a comprehensive way, using mm-hmm. a sort of a comprehensive framework. To actually assess, you know, to what extent uh, was it a, f- a successful process in terms mm-hmm. of engaging stakeholders? So, if you look at what I'm looking, I'm doing an assessment of that rethink London plan making process using a collaborative planning framework. Okay. So, yeah, if you have. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not too familiar with the collaborative framework. So yeah. if if we can talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get into how that fits into um, the rethink London. Um, concept. So what is the the collaborative framework that we're talking about? Yeah, sure. sure. Mm-hmm. So when we look at, uh, you know, collaborative planning, you know, mm-hmm. because like I said, I have a background in planning mm-hmm. and uh, in the past or historically, uh, planners, you know, at a at municipal level, they, you know, had this, this way of uh, preparing plans mm-hmm. that are divorced or that do not have public input 
in an effective way okay. and kind of impose plans to say this is the plan that we've prepared mm -hmm. and you know trying to impose it to uh, on people and uh, but with time in the 1970s with the rise of civil society and you know citizens really uh, becoming more informed to 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 understand that this kind of approach or this kind of mm -hmm. model or theory to planning does not work it's not effective because it's usually technocratic you know it's a top down process so there was this you know developments in theory theoretical work around collaborative planning which is basically about uh, uh it's an all inclusive process when it when it comes to developing land use plans mm -hmm. right to making sure that you build consensus ar around uh, you know the different interests mm -hmm. because when you look at planning and when you're doing city building for example mm -hmm. you have developers you have uh, interest groups you have the ordinary uh, residents um you have people who you know who have different you know perspectives different interests so how do you bring those people together and build consensus towards a common vision and to say okay this is the plan that we have worked together with the, with the different stakeholders so that is the framework that i'm using mm -hmm. and uh, that framework has you know different variables that i'm looking at mm -hmm. Uh, to make the assessment to say okay in, in, in as far as this variable is concerned this is how the rethink london process uh, performs mm -hmm. so i'm thinking about that right now from what i'm gathering in terms of demographics so i know in london you have many different demographics in terms of um, ethnicity in terms of age group wage gap group so is that what you're trying to build a consensus consensus between in terms of the collaborative framework or is it other factors that we have to take in place as well yeah that they, i'm glad you mentioned that that mm -hmm. is one of my variables which is inclusive representation okay so when you are developing an official plan when, when mm -hmm. you are doing a land use planning process mm -hmm. uh you know how to what extent is that process inclusive looking at right. you know those people who are affected by that those land use decisions mm -hmm looking at uh, the people who are usually called uh, the unusual suspects that is okay. those people who don't usually participate in planning mm -hmm. processes it's not everyone who participates in decision making at a local level some people don't mm -hmm. for whatever reasons and uh, some people might be what we call the hard to reach groups those people who who might not be able to come to public events or to public meetings when they are called by council for example you, you there might be people uh, issues around health or you might mm -hmm. have seniors who might not be able to 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 travel and and being able to to attend those you know mm -hmm. uh, dialogue sessions so that is one variable i'm looking at to say okay, okay to what extent was this process inclusive looking at the different demogra demographics in london mm -hmm. you know looking at first nations you know to what right. extent were first nations uh, involved in this process mm -hmm. to what extent the different uh, you know the, the young generation uh, also looking at seniors uh, the disabled the migrant communities so i'm looking at all that mm -hmm. gathering information you know using secondary material and also doing interviews with people who were driving the process right yeah okay so as one recent um subject that comes to mind in terms of london specifically that occurred that i think um represents sort of what you're looking at is sort of the bus crisis that they have here so the brt so when they hold city councils and town halls or is that the kind of representation that you're looking for so who will come out to these um municipal councils that that the city tries to hold to in order to represent a certain type of group and talk about certain um certain topics that will affect them so what i'm glad that you you talked about the BRT you know mm -hmm. it is very contested it's a, con a co 
contested, you know, decision, contested. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So, sorry, just to interrupt, can someone explain what the BRT is? Basrabiti Transit. The what? The bus rapid transit that the oh, city of London okay. proposed. Yeah. Oh, so, what, so what happened there? Yeah, so right now we have, I guess, regular LTC transit, and that's hotly contested in terms of uh, in terms of London during the school year, during the summer times, and just the hours and the frequency. So, I think the city of London proposed BRT, and I think you might know more about it than than I do, but. Um, it's just rapid transit, so it's a different way to get around through the city, and they act more like express. Yeah, lines. okay, okay. Yeah. And they, you know, they want to build, you know, a lot of, you know, the, what they say, transit corridors around certain, mm-hmm. and that is going, you know, because a lot of people are contesting that because it, it is going to affect businesses in in one way or the other. It also going to affect properties mm-hmm. when those, you know, transit corridors are constructed. So. Uh, in relation to what you, what you were saying, I'm not only looking at you know attendance at public meetings. Okay. I'm also looking at you know the, to what extent were the engagement strategies that the city used effective in terms of reaching out? Because okay. they had a different, they have the, the traditional the, those, those public meetings, and they were also having innovative ways to engage, like using mm-hmm. social media. They also designed a website specifically dedicated to that particular project. So I'm doing all that as analysis to to, mm-hmm. to, to, to look at inclusive representation. Then the other variables I'm also looking at, including you know issues around equal opportunity and resources, because it's very important. Because not every participant come to the negotiating table equal mm-hmm. although in th- theoretically s- some says you know it, there's an opportunity to balance uh, power differences in collaborative planning but in, in reality mm-hmm. it doesn't usually happen because when you look at uh, interest groups government agencies and the different even the city staff they have knowledge on planning they have access to better resources they, they are trained they, but some of these communities like the Aboriginal people and um, some of the ordinary people, they don't have an understanding of what land use planning and how does it work. Mm-hmm. And they might feel sidelined in terms of participation. So I'm looking at to what extent this process you know, provided opportunities mm-hmm. for training to make sure people have meaningful input. Uh, to what extent did it manage to bridge power imbalances between mm-hmm. those powerful stakeholders and the, the weak stakeholders. So that's, that, that, that's the second variable I'm also looking at. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have all these variables that you're looking at towards this collaborative framework, and um, so how, what is your method? How are you looking at the, these different um, these groups, these variables in this in this framework? So, how how do you assess it? In yeah. your research, yeah. In terms of methodology, I, I, uh, this is a case study that I'm using, which mm-hmm. is largely qualitative. Like I've said, I'm, I'm relying on doc- documentary analysis, okay. looking at council reports, mm-hmm. looking at the different uh, stakeholder plans that were produced, and analyzing uh, newspaper commentaries around that from the Lon- London um, mm-hmm. Free Press and CBC, because there were a lot of publications that were made in, in, in leading to this process. Mm-hmm. And I'm also doing key informative interviews with the people who designed the process and with also the people who are driving the process and representatives from the participating stakeholders, the, the community uh, leaders from the Urban League of London and also from developer associations as well. Mm-hmm. And also looking at uh, people who were co-leading the process like from the City of London Planning Services and also from the political side, the political mm-hmm. leaders and also representatives from the First Nations. Mm-hmm. So if you look at those uh, different uh, key mm-hmm. from that I'm looking at, it's kind of a balanced, yeah. uh, you know, b- balanced uh, list. Yeah. So I'm looking at probably between 10 to 12. Unfortunately, I couldn't do a public survey because mm-hmm. the the sample size is too huge because the engagement process managed to 
engage at least 16,000 people in London. Mm-hmm. So at a master's level, and also given uh, the issues around privacy of information, mm-hmm. it would be it might it it was kind of challenging for me to to right. do a public survey. Mm-hmm. So to complement that, that's why I have included representatives from the community yeah. on as part of my respondents, and also analyzing documents like public comments which people were making, and mm-hmm. looking at to what extent did it have an impact in the actual planning document mm-hmm. okay. because the plan is now you know approved mm-hmm. so i will be able to assess you know the, the, okay. the out the process and the outcome as well but it does and sound involved yeah, it definitely sure. does it sounds like a very complex procedure uh, what what are some of the early findings that you're having yeah uh, preliminary uh, findings point that you know generally city staff they view it as a very successful process mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess because they were responsible for designing and implementing it and they want mm-hmm. to sound it as very successful to get but my perspective um, the perspective coming out from the community leaders is that this process sometimes it was designed really to become an exciting process without genuine participation because when you look at the 15000 I'm looking at data or evidence mm-hmm. they didn't break it down to say okay we had 50% representing uh, the ethnic minorities. We have this percentage representing this kind of demographic group. So when it comes to inclusive representation, it becomes a, then a challenge to make a conclusion to say, the big numbers, how did you count them? How did you disintegrate that data to make sure that there is you know, effective or inclusive representation? Mm-hmm. So then the other thing is also, you know, what I've talked about, you know, uh, there was no opportunity for training people of course they were saying that we we managed to simplify or to make the the questionnaires that we're sending to people to, to ask them questions about what you want London to be in 2035 we were trying to simplify to make people to make sure that people understand it in simple language but people have to understand that especially when it comes to technical issues because they were seeking input on urban design land use design land use uh, planning alternatives so it becomes a challenge then when people don't really understand what planning is mm-hmm. and if those resources for you know opportunities for training are not availed so you know those, those are some of the preliminary findings but uh, my own uh, you know mm-hmm. reflection on the process it it was relatively good uh, when you look at um, you know uh, the city being innovative, not not just following the statutory process as stipulated by by the provincial legislation to say this is what you're supposed to do, but they were so innovative, like capitalizing on social media and and stuff like that. Yeah. So you approve overall <laughs> of the of the process that rethink London is 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 relatively going successful. Yes, I would okay. say so. <laughs> relatively, which means there are certain uh, mm-hmm. gaps that can that that would have been addressed. Mm-hmm. So we are running out of time just a little bit here. So I was wondering, um, so you're you're finishing up your master's work now. And what, what are some of your future plans? Like, what do you want to do with this master's degree? Yeah, I, uh, I'll probably go back home uh, uh, briefly, maybe for, 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 for one year and try to see if I can apply this knowledge mm-hmm. and to the experience that I got from Canada and how does it work in, in our own context. And uh, you know, but my 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 long-term plan is to do a PhD, mm-hmm. uh, probably in public policy or in political science, with a focus on public policy and governance, because I want to pursue an academic and research career in the future. That sounds pretty good. So I think that concludes the podcast for today. So I would like to thank Almond again for joining us on the show. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And this. This concludes this episode of GradCast, um, hosted by the Society of Graduate Students. 
Um, if you would like to reach us or contact us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. This episode will air, as well as many others to come, on Western's uh, radio station, 94.9 CHRW. And um, you can find this podcast for wherever you can find good podcasts. So on iTunes, on Google Play, and on the Podbean website. Again, this was a production of the Society of Graduate Students. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.